1: I know we're all feeling stressed out right now, but don't worry. The players aren't panicking, right? Right? This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name's Elliot Smith. the can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Hello, everybody. That's right. The players, they're surely not panicking, or are they? Because the guest that is going to lead off this podcast uh, suggests that that may be part of the process, but that's okay because the guest who suggests the players may be panicking also won titles for the Arsenal, and that's because the guest is one Lee Dixon, Uh, I am so excited to welcome Lee back. If you haven't listened to Lee Dixon on this podcast, you should listen to the episode we did September of 2021. Um, He spoke so articulately and eloquently and passionately about the Arsenal and the traditions that matter. And it was right at the time when this rebuild was sort of starting. So it's wonderful to catch up with him now at a time when it it looks like it may already be culminating, albeit sooner than we expected. Um, Lee and I covered a lot of ground in this conversation And he just speaks so freely and so beautifully about the club and about where we're at. And I think he's the perfect person to talk to because he won titles under a lot of different circumstances, including being a young team that hadn't done it before and had all the pressure on them. So you're going to hear about that and more. And one of the reasons Lee was willing to come on is because he obviously loves and cares about the Arsenal Foundation, the work they're doing in Zattery. And you know, when he heard about our fundraiser, he was really motivated to try to call attention to it any way he could. And coming on the podcast is a great way to do that. So I'll just quickly say that we're at almost 180,000 pounds. The goal was 100, then it was 150, now it's 200. I'm not gonna move it again. I think we're gonna get to that 200. I think we're gonna get past that 200. But right now, there's a very, very generous individual, anonymous individual, who has said he will match up to $20,000 for the next 20,000 that comes in. So if you've thought about giving, if you give right now, you're actually uh, giving twice. And, you know, I want to thank also Mikel Arteta, Martin Odegaard, Edu, who sent personalized messages to the podcast asking for us to give. If you haven't heard that, that's on previous episodes. You can also listen to the Stronger Together episodes taking you through my visit to the Zattery Refugee Camp, to the program the club is doing. I'm going to tell you something. We should be so, so proud of our club, of the people in our club, and of the work they are doing. They are making children's lives better in ways that are not just... um, not just sort of intangible, but tangible ways, breaking child marriages, getting kids out of out of child labor. I, I won't go on any further. I know, you know, people want to hear about the football, and you've heard about this all month, but it is something really important that we get to do as a community. Can't thank you enough. As a reminder, we're going to be in New York. Uh, in just a couple of days from when you're listening. Well, when I'm recording this, we're going to be there Saturday. There's an event it's sold out, but there's also going to be events around the event. So hopefully we'll get to see you there. If not, maybe in Chicago, I think there's actually a couple tickets left for the Chicago event. So you can reach out on social media or email and ask me about that. And I can send you the link. Um, that's the following weekend. And then we have one more we're going to be announcing, uh, in London town. So there is a lot of good stuff going on. So up first is going to be Lee Dixon, um, And after that, Tim and Benekvon, we're going to do a West Ham preview and talk a bit about Manchester City's form. I should let you know over on Patreon, Clive and I talked about City's form and the the challenge we face and also did a rewatch of the Liverpool game. Uh, We watched the second half and I have to tell you, if you haven't done it, either come do it with us on Patreon, that money this month goes to a good place, as you know, or just do it yourself. It's worth it. As painful as you might think it is, it's going to make you feel a lot better about the team because I think there's a lot of good stuff in there, maybe missed in the panic of the emotion of the moment. So... I've waffled on long enough. I'm going to turn it over to me and Lee Dixon, uh, and then we'll take a brief break and get on with it with uh, Tim and Paul. So that's what's ahead. Stay with us. And without further ado, although that was quite a lot of ado, but without further ado, uh, here is Lee Dixon. Hello, Lee. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. Obviously, I have to thank you not just for coming on again, but for this timing specifically because it will bring a lot of people to the podcast. It will call a lot of attention to the podcast, which is our chance to remind people about the fundraiser. Um, I know that philanthropy in general and giving back is important to you and the Arsenal Foundation as an Arsenal man yourself is very important to you. So I, I really appreciate the timing of coming on now.
2: Well, absolutely. I think, you know, I'll come on and talk to you anytime. You know that, <laughs> mate. Thank yeah, you. <laughs> the timing is perfect. And, uh, and the more that we can raise awareness for anything that the foundation are doing uh, throughout the year the better so we as ex-players have our part to play as well as the present players to go on and win the league that will bring attention to everything we wouldn't mm-hmm. let that to happen but you know being a former player we we certainly don't uh, take our responsibilities lightly and, and we, we want to get involved and and certainly the, uh, the Zatari um, project is something that's uh, an amazing thing that the club are doing. And uh, and the more money we raise, obviously, the better for the kids.
1: Yeah, well said. So uh, you mentioned that a, a title might bring more attention. I'm sure everybody listening has said, yes, that's why we want a title. You know, any, any reason is a good reason. Um, and it's funny, before we started recording, I said one of the things we could talk about today is the pressure of the run-in. You chose the word panic, so I will use your words. You've been in title run-ins, and at this phase of it, as a supporter, I feel quite a bit panicked. I'm sure some of that is due to the fact that it is 10 years ago since we were in one, and I think one thing that's really changed, Lee, is at that time, it was almost expected we would be in one. This has come so unexpectedly which makes the desire for it combined with the length of time since it's happened so uh deeply ingrained in us yeah when you were at this stage of the season how did you cope with the pressure stroke panic personally and as a group collectively well it's, it's interesting it's
2: there as you quite rightly pointed out it's been a while since we've been anywhere near this position and, and as you said it probably has crept up on a few people I th- I certainly don't think it's Crept up on, on Mikel and his players. I'm pretty sure that, you know, behind the behind the walls, they'll have been talking about the progression that the team's been making, the the size of the squad, the improvement in the quality of the players that have come over the last few windows. Um, all that is part of this so-called process that that Mikel talks about and was kind of, yeah, you're going on about the process all the time, but we're now seeing the, the fruits of that and the progression of the team has been outstanding this season and, and he, will, he will turn around to you and say, yeah, I told you it was coming, it's just a matter of time and and we've all been hopeful that we could get to a point where we could challenge because that's ultimately as a player, that's all you want, you know, especially playing These these levels of achievement as a player, you start off your career, you try and get in the first team, you get in the first team, you try and win as many games, you see if you can, you know, and and certainly for me playing in the lower leagues, I, I built myself up until getting to a place in the Arsenal first team. And then my goal was, could I stay in the first team for the next game? And my goal then pretty much stays the same. I always thought I ended up playing 619 of them, but I ended up starting off going, could I make two? You know, could I make three? And I know it sounds, well, that's, you know, that's quite short-sighted. It wasn't. It was a kind of, that's the one thing that kept me going. and, And it's the old cliche of one game at a time. But I think certainly when you get in a position of pressure, which they're certainly right in at the moment, and it's going to get, I say worse, worse isn't a, you say, I say, I don't say worse because that sounds like a bad thing and it's not. The pressure is a good thing because it means you are in a situation. It's quite easy to, and I call it flip-flop football and obviously, Flip flops being the, the beach wear that um, you probably got a different name for. but um,
1: <laughs> No, that's what I use. Yeah. Is that what you're right? yeah. <laughs> Although I think the kids now wear the slides, right? The, slides, yes. Yeah. Slides.
2: So slides football doesn't sound the same, but no. flip <laughs> football. The, the, a lot of teams end up playing at the end of the season when you're just seeing out a, a kind of nothing season. You might have attained a certain level of, of uh, competence within the group you're in, but our next phase is to be challenging and, and, and thankfully it is this season so the pressure is a good thing and you've got to use that to your advantage and everybody says you know it's going to and, and I, I've said over the, ne- the last few weeks on NBC commentary that these lads who are now going into this phase of games have got no idea what's coming you know it's, it's fine people talking about it and I'm sure uh, Zinchenko and Jesus have have mentioned what it's like to be in a running. You can try and explain it, um, and and that that experience is invaluable. But you don't know what's coming, and they don't know what's coming. And I can tell you now, when I mentioned jokingly, you know what? How did you deal with it? And you go panic. It's levels of panic. So I, I, this might not. Um, settle down the supporters like yourself and the fans who are looking in expecting me to go, don't worry about it. You know, everything's going to be fine. Well, I'm hoping, you know, that it is going to be fine. And at some point, and it might be this season, I really hope they've got a great chance and I really hope it is, that they will get over the line. And then you go, oh, that was what it was like. And so you take all that information in. And likewise, if they were to get pipped to the post and Man City were to overtake them you use that feeling the next time out and and it's just gathering experience and um over over the years so there'll be players in the dressing room now that are and that are very fearful of letting everybody down and that's kind of where it comes from you don't you're not fearful for yourself it's more you go so i'm only talking on my <laughs> <right, 'cause laughs> yes yeah, of course i can't talk about anybody else but i was very conscious of the fans at this stage in the season of going they they're so expectant they 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 they're so desperate to win it you don't want to let anybody down so you kind of tighten up a little bit and you don't you get a little bit safe at the moment this team looks like it's just full of no fear they're full of confidence they're just the second half against Liverpool was the first time we've all gone, oh, hang on a minute. Mm. <laughs> we're looking around, like, t- Mikel, what's going on? You know, I, I know I didn't have to do that because I know what's going on. I know that that's the kind of thing that can happen, that a team, especially as good as Liverpool at Anfield, 2-0 down and hurting, can come out in the second half, obviously it's 2-1, come out in the second half and go, right, we're going to have a real go, and they they hit the ground running a little bit. And as a team that's two nil up, you can go well. We've won this if we could if we just do this. Mm-hmm. Well, you weren't doing that in the first half. You were doing something different. So now you've gone back to just holding on to something, and then it can kind of unravel a little bit. So that was a good experience. I think it's, that's a bit. It's better off doing it against Liverpool at Anfield than doing it next week against West Ham. Yeah, you know, when you've. You're then in a position you're one game nearer to the end. You want to have the experiences that shake them up. And I'm pretty sure Mikel this week in the, at the training round will have been pointing all that out and going, this is a good thing. That is a really, really good point. Make no mistake about that. And everyone's going, oh, it's too lost. Uh, you, that could be the point that wins them the league. So, um, and everyone's different. Everyone deals with the pressure differently. And it, and it actually once you've done it once and you get over the line, which hopefully this season, then the next season, you kind of next season is a different story. Cause you, you kind of to win it twice on the trot is really difficult, but you, you, at least you've got something to fall back on and have reference and references. Is a, is a big part of this stage.
1: Yeah. I obviously we're being chased down by yeah. a very talented team. Um, and there's this narrative that if Arsenal don't win it, it's a collapse, which I think is a bit ridiculous. Arsenal currently are ahead of the invincible pace for points. Tell me who those people are and I'll <laughs> no, it was- okay. think it's a collapse. We'll, we'll send you to do the dirty work. Um, well, so, some of them are probably in our fan base, to be fair, because it's it's... I think people want it so badly and we've been leading the race for so long that I can understand why it would feel that way. But when you're talking about these kind of point totals and you're being chased down by that kind of team, look what they just did to Bayern Munich. Look what they've been doing, you know, all season. And somehow they haven't been doing it as well as we have, which is really remarkable. Do you, if you had to choose, do you think it is better to be the team that is, has not done it, that's panicking to some extent, but also so desperate for it or the team that maybe only has one eye on it, that has a Champions League that's important to them too, that's done it before, but done it before enough times that maybe they almost take for granted they'll do it. Because I think the presumption is we have the the panic and the pressure, and so that will cause a collapse. But is you've been on sort of both sides of this fence. Is, is it possible that this, the challenge City has is, is just as difficult in terms of staying focused, actually having the hunger for it when you're fighting on multiple fronts and you've done it before?
2: Well, th- there's two mindsets to this one. I've done both ways. And if you, yeah, look, okay. if you look at the, the famous one that ended at, at, uh, at Anfield in 89.
1: Yeah, there were we, 300,000 we, of we, us there at Anfield that night. <laughs> we,
2: were a, we were a similar team to the team now because we were a bunch of youngsters who were uh, assembled in a slightly different way. But we were a load of kids who'd not done anything. Um, and we were going ag- against... A juggernaut of a team that's won everything and and didn't really lose very often. And the whole season, we were top of the league, basically, or we got to the top of the league at Christmas and went, wow, what we doing we'll <laughs> do we we'll do now? We'll throw it away and we'll go, you know. And, and we did that, you know. We got very lucky that season, but at the end of the season, by when we went to Liverpool, if we did, this is my honest opinion, and I kind of, give something away to that to that night. In as much as if we'd have had to go to Liverpool and, and and win the game or get you know winner takes all, Liverpool probably would have won that game. I, I don't think that's a, you know that's my feeling. Hmm. Um, so we got lucky. We 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 won the league with three games three games four games to go, and then we threw it away. through Through the pressure got to us, hundred percent losing at home to Derby drawing against Liverpool and then having to go to Anfield and win 2-0 well it wasn't going to happen but then the shackles were off we went oh well, we're not going to do it so let's just go no. and we played the worst game of football that's ever been seen in the first half you know it was a terrible football match but we, we we had something on Liverpool then because they then as experienced as they were they then flipped into this team that was oh do you know what we only need to draw the game or lose 1-0 so they that, that was, so that game was a, was mentally won and lost. Interesting no about that. So now this team, you know, and, and I've also chased United down in in uh, in, in ninety eight. You know, chasing. I think we were thirteen points behind United with three games in hand or something, and we. It was a ridiculous kind of chase down, but the, the chasing a team down is exciting. You know, it's it's really really exciting.
1: Um, are you still there? Because you've frozen. Yep. Oh yeah, I'm still here. Fire away. If you if you're not seeing me, this little recording thing we're using is like magic. It it all puts it together at the end. So okay, and no seeing worries. me is the worst part of this experience, anyways. Yeah, ch-
2: chasing chasing someone down is exciting because the pressure is off. You know, you kind of go, we we've kind of lost it, so we just have to win every game. That is where City are right in that now. They've got a slightly different thing because they're desperate for the Champions League and we're kind of I, me as a player is kind of going you know obviously if you give them a choice now they'd take the Champions League 100% oh for sure yeah you know and even if they were level they'd go we'll take the Champions League it's going we we'll want to win both no you can't win both pick one pepper pick Champions League we know that so that's kind of in our favour because there might be a little bit of that going on when you but you quite rightly said, they've been there, they've done it, they know what they're doing, they know they have to win every game, that's an advantage for them. Um, so I, I think, even if we'd have won at Anfield last weekend, it wasn't over. You go back to eight points, it wasn't over. You yeah. know, it's, it's not going to be over until right near the end until the fat lady singing because because we're in a position now where I, bel- I, I genuinely believe City won't lose another game apart from that the game we're playing all the other games will just knock over I'm, mm-hmm. I, I believe that we've still got three you know we've got Brighton at home we've got Chelsea at home we've got um, Newcastle New, away you know, yeah. Newcastle yeah. away and mm-hmm. City away if you pick those four games out at the start of the season you go you know Newcastle away even if they're just an average Newcastle tied that 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 Place to go and play is difficult. Now, the fact that they're chasing third spot and they're absolutely buzzing is a massively difficult game. Brighton always is a difficult game. So, and obviously, Chelsea, we don't know which Chelsea will turn up, but there's it's a London Derby, so you're always going to get a bit of competition. So, and obviously, the City game is just how big is that now? It's just. Speak.
1: <laughs> it, it feels like the title decider feels a bit of Anfield 89 in the sense that we'll go there, I think, needing to get something with the youngest team in the league, trying to do something incredible against the team that everybody expects to do it, you know, having led the league most of the season. Yeah. Um, so it's it's hard not to see echoes of 89 in that. One of the things that you spoke so eloquently about the last time we, we talked was the Arsenal and the importance of the traditions and feeling like Arsenal again. And it was September twenty one. So we were just coming out of some of the challenges we'd had with some senior players that maybe weren't on the boat um, and others that were getting ready to be uh, removed from the boat. (laughs) And setting the football aside for a moment, because I think we all love the football we're seeing right now. And I think you also made interesting points about football's football. Keep it out of your net, get it in the other net, right? We get too caught up in the tactical battle at times. But in terms of restoring a bit of the connection, connection to the supporters, connection to the history, connection to taking pride in the badge and doing things the right way. Obviously there are Academy players involved in this squad. Now there's a lot of young players and yet they seem to get it in quotes in ways that maybe some of the senior pros didn't in the past. How would you evaluate the turnaround Mikel's made in terms of the feeling around the club? And I know, look, let's not be silly. A lot of feeling around the club is, did you put three points on the board on the weekend? But I do think that there's something different about what he's built here. And I'm, I'm curious how you evaluate the period from September 21 when we last spoke to now and the distance we've traveled, not just on the pitch, but as a club.
2: Incredible. And he takes, you know, I have, I have to take my hat off to him and, and say that he's say single-handedly, him and his staff, but his ideas about the club, he he, he got... The Arsenal, when he was a player, I, I, I don't know him uh, personally. I didn't play with him, but I know that he. The traditions of the club were very important to him, which is a brilliant sign when any manager takes over that they get that. Um, and the first thing he did, you know, as good a job as Emery's doing at Villa, um, it, it's safe to say that he didn't quite get the club for some reason. I don't, I don't understand why, but. I, don't, I, don't, I wasn't there, but I know that he, he didn't like um, the pressure that the club, the Arsenal, had over, or he presumed had over the players. So he de-arsenalised uh, the training ground. He took all the pictures down. He took all the, the memories of, of past victories down. He didn't want the players walking in to train and kind of looking around and going, oh, my God, we're under pressure Um, He didn't like that. That was his style. Um, And that's not what I believe in. Um, That's not genuinely what most of the Arsenal people that have been through those doors believe in. And certainly not what um, Arsene believed in. He he got it straight away. And and Mikel's the same. And he came in and he kind of looked round. And I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, but um, I believe from, from people that are in the, the training ground and the stadium training ground manager that the first thing he did was come around and go, where, where are we? You know, it was the fact that it got Arsenal outside that the gates was perhaps the only, you know, clue as to where you were. And he said, where, where is everybody? Where are the pictures? Where's, you know, and he's, so he, he took it upon himself to that. They've changed all the, the meeting rooms, all the, uh, the places, the the video rooms, they've all got, um, different, uh, Paneled walls with all the the previous achievements of players, caps who who played for England this many times, all the the, the squad numbers in the past, the, the history of the play. You walk in there now, and you can see every little bit of Arsenal history. The first thing you see when you walk in the um, the training ground on the left is, is a twenty foot high Arsene Wenger. You know he's 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 there. He's looking over everybody as you walk in. Making sure that you understand it's who you are, what you are, and who you represent. You know, it's kind of like it's, that's has been written since the club was was formed, and and I think that's an, a brilliant thing. And what he's done with that as well, he, he's there, he's also transformed that connection from the players to the club to the fans back to the club again. Um, and I, you know, I believe that anyone who's been to the Emirates this season, and it helps that you're winning every week don't you know you mentioned that already um, but even if you even if you lo- lose a game or you don't play particularly well I, I've not been at the, uh, the the emirates when it's been that connected he, he's really taken the fans on a journey and he's connected the team again to the fans and that's an amazing thing and all credit to him he's gone about it in a very kind of processed set away um mm. that looks a bit clinical from the outside but i believe from my insiders you know that he's 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 done that pretty much on his own you know and said this is what with the night and with edu edu gets yep. it well He, he of course with- yeah played with us in, in our team um so he know edu we made sure edu got it you know if you didn't get it when you were with us a lot you didn't last very long so and edu did last quite a long time so and he's invincible so he gets it
1: it's so fascinating because the irony of what you described with unai Emery's approach to it like if i were walking into that training ground seeing those pictures seeing that history i'd feel 10 feet tall to feel yeah. connected to all of that, say, "Wow, I'm a part of this. I must be pretty damn good and pretty damn special, and I have something to live up to now." So I think it it well, can maybe, also maybe it was some
2: I don't know maybe maybe it's something about himself. Maybe he felt hmm. under pressure that that the, the the eyes of George Graham and Herbert Chapman and um, and Arsene Wenger were looking down on him. Maybe he didn't feel comfortable. Which is fine. He's a manager; he can do what he yeah. wants. But you know, you you're rubbing not only. Uh, tradition up the wrong way but certainly the Arsenal people that are, are still at the club both at the training ground and the the Emirates albeit it's not hybrid, it's still you know our home um and you're a brave man to to, to change tradition like that over you know 100 and whatever it is years to go know well, I'm going to do this now yeah. so maybe that's about him rather than um the what he thought the players might think. But ultimately, and it's the same at United, it's the same at Liverpool, it's the same at the the real traditional English football clubs that you, that weight, you know, I think Thierry said it and a few people have said it, you know, the weight of the, the weight of the shirt is heavy. Yeah. And if you can't if you can't carry that shirt, then take it off politely, hold <laughs> it up, put it back on the peg and
1: Uh, The door's over there. Off you pop. Yeah. um, And it's interesting because you look at certain clubs like Liverpool, for example, and you have a manager there in Klopp, Klopp, who seems to get it and fit. And you look at another club uh, that we like to laugh about quite a bit uh, from North London. And they've gone through this revolving door recently of high profile managers who feel too big to, for the club, yeah. who are interlopers, right? Who are there for their own identity, not, not to forge an identity at the club. Yeah. Um, and you see how that works. And to your point, look, right from the the U18s, right? You have Jack Wilshire, Per Mertesacker, Mikel Arteta, Adu. You obviously, you want the best people. But if the best people can also be people that have that DNA have some kind of connection to the club, then I think you you're able to forge an identity, and we're seeing that clearly.
2: Absolutely, and what it also does is it buys you it buys you some time as well. Because mm. if you if you are of that type, if you are an Arsenal man and you've got that in you, when the bad times come, and they will come, and Mikel's had them, you know the first. Oh, yeah. 18 months of him being there it was like what well, you know what's going on we're not doing very well and we're not now you just gotta be patient this is the you know this is how I'm gonna do it um and it, it buys you a bit of time I think as soon as you you know you could come in and completely and case in point is what you talked about with Tottenham you know my big big managers have come in and made a, a good start and then they look as if they're going places but as soon as it starts to go a little bit awry then all of a sudden, the fans don't stay on your side very for very long.
1: Yeah. Um, well, it's it's a beautiful thing we're building. Obviously, we'd like to see it culminate in a title this season. It feels like it will carry on longer term. Uh, one of the areas, though, that we should touch on since we have you on the podcast is the back four. And another thing I listened back to our discussion from September 2021. It was so interesting because a big through line of that conversation was we're building a back four that can stay forged together for years, similar to the one you built, but we were talking Tomiyasu, White, Gabriel, and Tierney. Yeah. And now it's White, Saliba, Gabriel, and Zinchenko. So it has already changed. Um, it's a very different type of back four in some ways, but It's a very talented back four. There's no denying that. Um, Unfortunately, Saliba not available right now. But thinking Saliba at the age that he's doing it, Gabriel, relatively young for a center back. Um, Ben White still just sort of coming into his prime and Zinchenko about, you know, sort of in his prime. What's your take on the the remodeled back four from our last conversation and uh, how this one really, I think... Is maybe underappreciated for its defensive qualities because we think of Zinchenko, you know, as a midfielder and Saliba can pass and White can. But I think especially the centre back duo might be the best in the league right now.
2: Yeah, and uh, and again, you know, great credit to Mikel for for uh, the way that he's handled. Uh, so, well, Ben White as well, but certainly mm. Saliba with the you know sending him him being out on loan and the process that he's gone through to. Picking up that experience and the ability to be able to hold yourself and your chin high and, and walk out there and be an Arsenal centre back. There's been, you know, countless amazing ones over the past, and and also the the um, the lack of a partnership over the years has been well-documented and well-talked about by everybody saying, you know, they haven't had a decent partnership for years. And since Sol Campbell and and Yaya Toure, it's been a, um, it's been a a gaping hole in the team. And uh, now that eventually they've kind of, it's almost like they've, well, it's almost like they've sneaked in overnight and gone. (laughs) don't tell anyone we're just going to form this partnership and then we're just going to get on with it. And it, which is, I have to say that I recognize that because it's kind of what we did. You know, we, we went for quite seemingly quite a long time, just getting on with our business without everybody going on about all oh, the back four. And then all of a sudden somebody mentioned it one day, it <laughs> <That laughs> was done chat rooms in them days. somewhere in the paper went, Oh, the Arsenal back four and then it became a thing and we were like what's this thing they keep talking about we're just going out and doing our job it's like that's what I get paid for it's not anything special it's what we do and it was to us (laughs) looking back on it you always you always look back on it now and go wow yeah we were pretty good and but at the time you're just kind of going oh yeah we didn't Oh, it's 1-0. Yeah, we didn't let a goal in. And we, you know, and then it becomes a thing when you're playing. And it did certainly towards the end, it kind of resonated with us that we knew what we were doing. And I think that showed itself with the fact that Arsene came in and was getting ready to get rid of us all. And then realised and went, oh, actually better keep them for a bit longer because they they seem to know what they're doing. And they're actually a lot fitter than I thought it was. And they're not as old. And even though the age said something actually physically we were quite a fit back four anyway so yeah. he kept us and, and that was the biggest um accolade that arsene could have paid us to say no you get on with it for and i played another six years after he came so it was a, a long you know when he looked i was there 14 and a half years so just under half. I was with Arsene It was it was an incredible kind of journey with him. Um, but it was in the early days, it was kind of like, and this is what this bat four is like now, it's kind of sneaked in on us, and you're like, oh, oh, there it is. Because <laughs> oh, as you said, the team is playing so well that the emphasis with what we've got up front and how the midfield is set up is is very attack-minded, and you kind of sometimes forget what's going on behind, and certainly. We've got the, you know, we've got Ramsdale in goal, who's just off the charts good, and, incredible, you know, yeah. and how brilliant he is to watch and entertaining. And he'll make the odd mistake, but show me a goalie who doesn't. And, uh, but I think you know, some of his performances has certainly helped a back four. And I can tell you from experience that if you've got somebody you're not that bothered about behind, and you don't have to worry about, it doesn't half make this in front of you a lot easier because you can set your line, you know he's a, he's sweeping up behind, you don't have to have any worry about that ball that's just a bit too long because he'll sweep it up um, and his shot stopping is, you know, you can, you can. there is a, there, you should always follow the ball back when somebody shoots, but with him, you kind of, it just gives you a bit more of a safety blanket because you know he's got half a chance of saving it. So your position as far as, you take up in the penalty area. You're not thinking about it, but you 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 start to behave in a slightly um, unthinking way about your positioning because you know the goal is safe, um, which is a, a a big plus as a defender.
1: Yeah, and and I think it it allows you to not feel like, well, if I don't slide in and take the ball or do something rash, the keeper going to let it in, right? So suddenly. You don't have to give away the red card, you know. You don't have to give away the penalty. Uh, give away the penalty. Pick you up a red it, card. You, know.
2: you said it a lot more eloquently than I did, but that's why. <laughs> you know, because there is there is that moment when you were in a box and you go. And we used to have it with Dave Seaman. You know, you could get in a position. Right, we used to have a. We never they, they play slightly differently now, but we never used to go into the penalty area. We the penalty that white line that's called the eighteen yard line. George Graham said that's a cliff and if you hmm. fall, if you step into the box you'll you'll drop 500,000 miles into hell so <laughs> you basically do not go into the box so we used to hold the line rigid and so anyone who who comes around the penalty area we go we're not going backwards so we're going to try and go forwards to press but I used to shout a lot of the time because I knew he was so good. I used to say to players, sh- I used to encourage him to shoot. I used to go, shoot. It's, <laughs> amazing. it's amazing in a game. If you somebody's half thinking about shooting and you say shoot to him, they shoot. And as soon as they shot from 20, 20 yards, 25 yards, because we're holding that line, I know they're not going to score unless it's right in the top corner. And I think with Ramsdale, you've got that. You can kind of take a position where you go, Go on, have a shot because he'll save it. So you're on the front foot all the time.
1: Yeah, and I just I think that the profile of these players really complements one another. Gabriel probably is not appreciated as much as he should be, although I saw a lot of Liverpool supporters having some kind words for him about his performance at Anfield. Yeah. When Saliba was there, he's very eye-catching with his his long strides, his recovery pace, his ball-playing ability. Yeah. But with him out, I think people are really... Seeing the spotlight on on Gabriel and he's he's been excellent, so I think he deserves have, a lot of I credit. To, I have
2: to I have to step in there and say mm. that uh, Rob Holding's done a brilliant job. Absolutely, in yep. because there's a huge amount of pressure on Rob. You know, he's he's one of the best pros around. He, the, the The team love him. He's he's the heart and soul of the dressing room. He gets on with his training. He's you know he came in last year and got sent off against Tottenham, and he's had a few a few hiccups here and there but so going into a title running and one of your best defenders getting injured and him stepping in he's, he's done a brilliant job and uh and he's a he's an absolute lovely lovely guy so you couldn't wish you know better performance going to him because he's just he's so, and he's done a brilliant job and it's not easy stepping into the, those boots
1: oh it, it it's great i mean he's in the leadership group for a reason that uh during all or nothing there was like just one little moment it's interesting. You, you got little, little candid moments in that show. Some of it obviously is very produced, but they were signing cards. I can't remember if it was for like a birthday or someone someone get well soon or something. And it was right after Aubameyang had basically been banished and everybody's signing cards and Holding just turns around and McKellen goes, should I sign one for Oba? You know, and like everybody cracks up. And I think having that personality that can just get, put a smile on everyone's face, even in stressful times and take the edge off is great. Um, I also think it would be, it would be, look, unfortunately, Football is sometimes a fairy tale and sometimes it's a nightmare, but Holding had a performance at Tottenham last season that I'm sure he'd like to have back. I think the emotion got to him a little bit and, yeah. and, and it didn't go the way he would have liked, of course. And for him to maybe get a chance to, to pay back a little of that now on the way to a title would be very meaningful. So yeah. You Absolutely. know, I, I'd love to have Saliba back, but for right now, I think you're right. Holding deserves a lot of praise for what he's done. And, and by the way, it's unfortunate we don't have Tom, Tomiasu as well, right? Because that would give us even that little bit more flexibility. So I did have on the list to talk Saka and Martinelli. We don't have to be, I feel like saying they're great is pretty much all that needs to be said. Do you have anything you want to add on that? It's just having two stunning young stars up front like that is... It makes it that much more fun to root for this team for me. Oh,
2: oh sorry. What I um, what I've been really impressed with is that uh, they're in their their ability on the ball is is incredible. We know that they're both quick. They're both really good pros. They're both. Tra- I went to watch training at the end of last season, and just to watch them training was like, you know, it was like, wow. I'm sure we didn't used to train that hard. They were like, <laughs> you know, this was like an you know practice eight v eight game, and they were flying into you know dribbles and I was like wow it seems like they're taking it a lot more seriously than I did <laughs> and um, and it was just an incredible thing to watch and that's there to be seen but I think what's been really impressive about the pair of them is their intelligence of understanding what's required from Mikel's coaching you know because he asked them to do a couple of things that wingers are not normally um, accustomed to doing and that's you know, normally, especially because they're wide wingers, they're not kind of inside going out; they, they're outside wow. coming in, um, and that's a different role. You know, when a fullback gets the ball, you want when I certainly when I was playing, when I, I get the ball, I want my winger to go right onto the touchline to try and spread the back four, so it gives me more of a ball on the inside in the mm-hmm. inside channels for the forwards. But the way Arsenal play, obviously, when they hit the touch lines and the fullbacks who are marking them sort of spread like normal. But then they, you know, just before delivery, Ben White doesn't have to play the ball out to the touchline. He actually plays a straight ball or slightly inside, for instance, the goal against Liverpool where yep. mm-hmm. Sackers And you can see if you watch him, um, which is obviously it's a little bit easier if you're live because you can you can see not where the cameras you know the the camera be on Ben White at the time and he actually missed the pass but when you missed the movement before but if you watch him live and watch the timing of you know Ben gets the ball he's waiting for Saka to make that run in in field and then he plays it into the path and that as a fullback that messes you up completely because you're like well, I really don't want to go in there. You know, Robertson doesn't want to go in there. He wants to be safe in his little full-back area. All of a sudden, Saka's running at pace, and hes you know his first touch is going to be brilliant. Uh, and and Martinelli does the same thing on the, on the left-hand side. And then they go into that area, and then people make runs off him, and it, it just opens the whole pitch up. And Mikel's obviously spent a lot of time with the pair of them doing that in training. Um, but they picked it up really quickly because that's not a natural thing for a winger to do. Mm. Um, they want to stay wide. They want to get the ball and they want to have a little dribble, go in, go out. But it's the actual run into a, a ball that's played inside that they've picked up brilliantly well. And it, it gives them options that um, the that opposition back fours don't like playing against.
1: Yeah. Uh, and it's, it seems like a, a little tweak, but it, it changes the space it puts those players into to impact the game by the way you mentioned not being able to see the whole pitch you know some people at nbc can you ask them for an all all 22 view the nfl has a camera they call all 22 you can see all 22 players and you can watch the game and see everything happening and when you're at the emirates or you know uh, i went to the leicester game as well and you can see the whole pitch you really do get a sense of those little tweaks and those moves (laughs) so when when they
2: there is there is um uh Oh, I'm just trying to think. Tact- they call it tactical in England. Mm-hmm. It's called the tactical camera. Um, there is one at every Premier League game, so there, 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 there is a- it? <laughs> it's an opportunity. Um, the, the boy, funny enough, the lads use it in the studio to highlight analysis. Yeah, um, but I'm guessing. Well, they're, they're at the. Uh, they see that one. It's not even NBC because they're at the, the the whim of the director in the UK. Right. And they don't often switch to the tactical camera during live play, which I think is missing yeah. something.
1: Yeah, uh, it's funny. I, I don't think the NFL does that either. But they have the NFL has its own network, and if you pay to subscribe, you have an option. I think to to view the games that way or you know, right. pay for the feed. Anyway, it was not an important point I'm making, but one that oh, I,
2: you know. listen. Listen, what, what what the fans want to see. So I'm I'm into all that because I want what frustrates me I'm a flipping subject a little bit here but what sure. really frustrates me is I, I watch you know I watch every golf event that's on the tv because I'm golf crazy is that they um they put a they put a camera behind the guy gonna hit the ball to the green and then they stand right behind him and you think oh that's you're gonna see you know and you can see the flag in the distance yep. and he's got a wedge in and you're like and then just as he hits it, the camera that's goes like that and follows the ball. And I'm like, why don't they just if they stayed, if they stayed with the shot, you wouldn't see the ball in the air, but then you zoom into the into the into the um the green, you'd be able to see it land just how the player sees it. It's yeah. a, it's a perfect and every, nobody does it. And I'm like, Well, that's definitely who's directing these golf games, you know, it's like these golf cameras. It's just Lee Dixon, technical director for golf. There you go. And
1: I'm going to get the tactical cam for you so you can see it as well. All right. Well, I mean, look, all you have to tell the premier league is there's money to be made, making it available and it'll be available before the end of the season. Um, I've taken up more of your time than I anticipated. So I'll, I'll wrap there, but I I always enjoy hearing you speak about the game, speaking about the arsenal. Um, I did get to listen back to the September, 2021 uh, episode and, it was, it was fantastic. This is great. So hopefully we'll have a chance to do it again. I'm going to the Wolves game on the final day. Okay, uh, so well, I, I will feel the panic you have described. Well, you must, um, hopefully, mm-hmm.
2: the NBC game, because we're going to win the league. There if, you go. Should be. <laughs> if, if we've not won it by then, or it looks like Man City are going to win it, either me or Graham will be at one or the other. So I'm hoping to be at the Arsenal one. So you have to
1: come into the... Uh, the NBC truck, and we can have a cup of tea. It'll be my pleasure. Uh, uh, a cup of tea will probably be what I'll need at that point because <laughs> anything stronger, I don't know if I'll make it through the day. So, Leah, uh, uh, great to talk to you. Maybe see you before the end of the season, and I'm, I'm sure we'll talk to you again soon. All right, pal. Anytime. Thank you. Okay, now it's time to tell you about. Well, where should we start? Where do you want to start, everybody? How about we start with Athletic Greens AG One. Uh, something that I use and started using because I I was concerned about my gut health and I wanted to have better gut health and, and also was taking too many like gummy vitamins and things like that. They call them vitamins, but you look on the back and one of the first ingredients is sugar. So, you know, that certainly isn't, getting you what you need. AG1 is 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, adaptogens, probiotics. It's a micro habit that delivers macro benefits and helps almost everybody take great care of their health. It's um, athlete designed, athlete built. So it's great for recovery. It's paleo, keto, vegan, dairy free, low sugar. So really whatever lifestyle you're using, you can take it great for energy. Um, I was drinking way too much coffee. I still drink it, still like it. But this gives me that boost I need. So um, it's an affordable way to take care of your health. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash vision. That's athleticgreens.com slash vision. And if you want to take care of your mind the way you take care of your body, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a way to do therapy that's accessible that fits your schedule, that fits your needs. If you wanna do camera off because you're a little shy, do it, if you wanna do camera on, you can. If you wanna adapt and adjust, if you don't have time to get out to a therapist's office, if there isn't one in the area or a specialist that meets your needs in the area, this is real therapy, but it's real therapy done on your time frame in the way that is right for you. I have done therapy, it made my life better, it made me a more effective person. I didn't use it in a crisis, I used it to be healthier, in the same way you might go to a personal trainer or a nutritionist or a medical doctor, a therapist can help you work on the parts of yourself that may be holding you back. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try, okay? Deliver your potential with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash vision today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot slash vision. If you're starting a business, you want to use Shopify. I use Shopify to build businesses. Look, it's this simple. Do you bake? Do you design? Do you do art? Do you make shirts? Do you make hats? Do you just want to sell stuff? You don't even have stuff. Shopify will let you start selling quickly with a website that looks uber professional, Like this is the backbone of the e-commerce web as you know it. You may just not know that's what they're using. And if you want to sell on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and all those places, it'll make it easy for you to do it. There's 24-7 support. Shopify takes care of the shipping charges and calculates the taxes and does the checkout. And it gives it that professionalism. So when someone goes to your site at that moment where they say, am I willing to click that buy now button? They're gonna feel that confidence because Shopify has delivered that professionalism, makes it really easy. Sign up for a $1 per month trial at Shopify.com slash arsenalvision, all lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash arsenalvision, all lowercase, to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash arsenalvision. Finally, if you're hiring. Then you need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform we can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all on Indeed, like shopping around on multiple job sites, pain in the neck, hate wasting time, hate waiting. Indeed data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resume on Indeed match their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Instant match, or Indeed matching as they're calling it, is a feature I want to talk about. Candidates you invite to apply through instant match are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in search, according to US Indeed data. With Indeed matching, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates whose resume on Indeed match your job description. Boom, it's hiring at warp speed. Join over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Now with Indeed, you only pay for quality applications that meet your hiring criteria. So visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to start hiring now. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms you can just apply. Cost per application. Pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire you. need to- Is that enough of that? Indeed. Now it. And now the bonanza continues with some proper arsenal men. <laughs> I kid. It's not going to get much more proper than we just had, but they are Arsenal men, nonetheless. And in fact, I would say for his uh, home and away attendance for decades now, Tim certainly qualifies as a proper Arsenal man. Tim's on Twitter at Dominator. Hello, Tim. Hello there, and thank you for that uh, August introduction. Yeah, that, I you're don't welcome. think
3: that was the right use of the word
1: there, but um, we'll roll with it. The good news is I don't know what the word means, so uh, I can just presume it means how, whatever you use it.
3: August refers to like a publication. If you say like, oh, it's an August publication, it kind of yeah. means it's a very trusted, reliable.
1: I, I, I don't want to push back on you with vocabulary because I know you know your words, but I think you're confusing it. August is actually a month that follows July. So uh, Of you know. course, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and the reason I know that is because uh, that's when the transfer window closes. So, uh,
3: and you know, one will be anyway. playing in the Community Shield uh, next season.
1: Ooh, the nerves! <laughs> it just it kicked him right off. And here with me now, a man who has watched Arsenal before is Paul. You can find him on Twitter. Pause my pencil. Pause. Woohoo! Was that August enough for you, or a little more July? August. August. Yeah, yeah it's an. It's from August. the
4: Latin, me- yeah. basically meaning Augustus. Pashin po- stuck up
1: like yeah. like a Caesar. Like a Caesar. Exactly. Yeah. Or an Augustus. Um, okay guys, that was a good one. Let's, uh, let's save that <laughs> one know. in the time capsule. Good, good way to follow. A Lee bit, Dixon of, a bit Thanks, of
3: Latin, Latin banter. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Latin banter. Uh, well, I do want to wish Clive a safe flight. He is flying to New York. Uh, I will be following suit momentarily. Uh, Paul is on his way tomorrow. We are going to be there Saturday. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's going to be a fantastic time. We hope to see you there. If you can't go to the live event, come to one of the other events happening around that event. If that made sense, you can tell I've used up all my good podcast hosting on the prior <laughs> segment. Let's
4: just get into this, Tim. We, we could talk about Saturday and Saturn and the Saturn the Day, Roman mm-hmm. god and Saturnalis and the Day di- yeah, of the Sabbath. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Um, uh, okay, so <laughs> enough of that. <laughs> now, Tim. We're going to talk West Ham preview for most of this, but I just want to start a little bit with Manchester City. Um, uh, talk to Clive guys. about this. on the, Yeah. <laughs> uh, you heard of them, maybe? Um, they're the team that's behind us in the Premier League table, like all the other 19 teams. Um, talk to Clive about this. By the way, if you want to check it out on Patreon, we did a rewatch of the Liverpool second half, and I'm going to say this as clearly as I can. It's not bias. I know you're going to roll your eyes out of your head, that second half is not a bad performance in a lot of ways. And you mm-hmm. should rewatch it if you get the chance. I know there are a lot of you that, again, are rolling your eyes out of your head. It's worth the rewatch. I think it will actually give you more confidence about who we are right now, because under immense pressure and immense challenge, I thought we actually did a lot of good things that you probably missed in the panic of the moment. I know I did. I think I got my read a little wrong on that post-match. So worth the rewatch. Uh, that's over on Patreon if you want to watch or just rewatch wherever you can. Uh, but Tim, City blowing away Bayern Munich blowing away everyone at the moment, looking really, really hungry to win every game they play, and they certainly have the talent to do just that. Having said that, uh, Chelsea did not beat Real Madrid 3-0 at the Bernabeu, which uh, Todd Bully predicted. It looks like Madrid will probably go on to face City. That's going to be another kettle of fish and another level of concentration they're going to have to put in. How concerned are you about City's pretty terrifying form right now. And the idea that maybe just, maybe they will go on and win all their games, except the Arsenal game, which of course could wind up then being a, a title decider, maybe a little like Anfield 89 in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I,
3: I, I, I hesitate to kind of whip out the sleepers analogy again, where the hot dog vendors chasing the kid who's nicked the hot dog. And he's just going, give up, give up. Just let me run away with it. Give up. <laughs> um, Cause that's look, Essentially, we've all suspected this might happen all season, that City particularly, um, it's almost like uh, that kind of Carcadian rhythm that a team like City will have from being in the title race year on year on year, that just something in them in March, April, May just wakes up um, a little bit and they just have that kind of muscle memory um that that's we we've all probably had that in the back of our minds i've pretty mm-hmm. much always suspected that game at the etihad like i couldn't see a world in which we go to that game at the etihad and it didn't matter a lot to both teams um, I just didn't see that. Wo- I didn't see that world where it's like, "Oh, we're twenty points clear. It doesn't even matter if we look <laughs> like that." Was never going to happen. And with given that the season finishes in late May as well, so there's like four or five games in May. Even if we get, you know, we'd gone into that game, I don't know, eight nine points clear on the same amount of games, which isn't going to happen now because the way the fixture calendar is. But even if we would like a defeat. Just it it's, it's, a, it's a switch and bait, isn't it, on the psychology of the title race? So I, I yeah. never, ever expected to go to the Etihad uh, feeling slightly indifferent about what the result was. I always felt that would be very pivotal. The advantage we've got at the moment, at this moment in time, and this could change clearly, is that we probably don't have to win that game. Um, so all of the kind of expectation and everything will will be on City. Uh, nevertheless, yeah, of course I'm scared. I've been scared all season. There's there's never, there have been a couple of points where I've thought, oh, we can, like, like when Eddie puts that goal in against Manchester United, I was like, oh, this, this feels like our season. Um, and maybe the week before when we kind of uh, batter Tottenham because they get battered everywhere they go, even when they don't go anywhere. I kind of, you know, I had that feeling. Do you know? uh, Just to like um, switch to an anecdote from about twenty years well, over twenty years ago, when Arsenal won the league in two thousand two, we we were drawn away at Watford in the third round in the FA Cup, and me and my mate Jim Mm -hmm. uh, were just kind of standing there. And the team were warming up and he just turned to me and he said, they just look like the champions to me. He just said, they look to me like this Like this in the warm-up. He was just, they just look to me like the team that's going to win the league. And sometimes you get that feeling. And I admit I've had that feeling a couple of times this season, but also the other baggage that we're carrying as Arsenal fans is not just that we haven't been here in a title race since in so long. It's the fact that there were lots of points last season where I felt we're going to get in the top four. We're, we're going to. It's all going to be fight. Like last season felt like our season. You know, um, it had all those like emotional checkpoints that usually happen when you achieve your target, and it didn't happen. And we blew that at the end. So obviously, we've we've kind of got that um, junk in the trunk, as it were. So, like, yeah, I'm scared, but I never expected not to be. Um, to be quite honest with you, and look, City. They've never they've pretty much never other than well yeah, no, one season where they won every game at this stage. So I think there's still a lot in play um here for for both teams. For both teams. I, I still think they'll drop points somewhere, but I think we probably will too. So hang on to your hats basically.
1: Mm. Yeah. Well said all of that. And one of the places we could drop points is away to West Ham. I don't think we will. And I certainly hope we won't. And that means we can shift gears to that aspect of the conversation. And Paul, I- I'm glad I did this Liverpool rewatch. Cause in a way I I've come away thinking, wow, we dominated them in the first half and we actually played pretty well in the second half. And it-, it looks like a much better point than I thought. Well, let me put it this way. A much better point in terms of how we played a much worse point in the sense that I actually think we could have taken all three points more than maybe I even realized, but We now go to West Ham. The focus has to stay the same. I do think this team needed to be in one competition right now. I think it is helpful for us to have a week of proper training and really be focused on this. Do you, just thinking lineups and changes or anything like that, do you see us making any change? I mean, Troussard will feel aggrieved anytime he's not in the starting lineup, but when you have great players up front, not every great player can start. I can't see us changing anything other than that if that's the change we make how do you think we'll um will approach this from a lineup standpoint
4: yeah i think that's right i think he's going to have to wait for something to happen to somebody and like those four players five players who could get a bit of a niggle and trossard's your first man every any anybody in the fr- front 3 and probably are right and left eights right now if uh Odegaard's a little off it, has a little bit of an issue. I mean, if Jacques has a little bit of an issue, maybe they'd, maybe because Jacques has the beefier of the two roles there with responsibilities going both ways. But, but like Trossard's is probably a good shout for any of those five positions and certainly four of the five. Um, and he's just, that's just kind of how it is. But, we could also need a sub at any one of those positions at sixty, seventy minutes. So, uh, I think right now that's that's where it is. Thierry Henry asked who's the best left winger in uh, on the planet, and uh, says Vinicius Junior. But there's a, there's a couple of fellows at Arsenal on the way up, mm. um, and pushing hard. So like the the hype never dies. Um, you know, basically Martinelli in the frame for that. I, you, you can't move away from Martinelli. Can't really move away from Gabriel Jesus, I don't think. Though, yeah. you know, I mean, he, he's still fresh back, so you you never know with Jesus. They might look at it at some stage and say eh, we need to dial it back a little bit or not put too much on him. But yeah, I think Trossard is going to have to wait uh, unless Saliba is is right there. Um, I know we have my line for the the big game that come. Uh, city, etc., but it'd be nice if he played a few minutes along the way. So I get, I guess if he were up to it, they'd, they might want to give him a spin at some stage. But they'll probably leave it another game still before bringing him in. So yeah, I think it's pretty settled. Um, like the city thing. Um... <sighs> I didn't want to be too consolationy after the Liverpool. am um, by the way, I fully agree on the Liverpool second half watch. I did find nobody really wanted to hear that, by the way, mm. uh, when I, when I, mooted that. No,
1: you know, I know, I know. It's yeah, the, the emotion of the it. moment. It, it, it's it's a read-the-room situation, Paul, which, yeah. let's be fair, you have a lot of strengths in your analysis of Paul, but reading the room may not may not be the
4: top of the list. No, it's good. It's like, what would what would I say that I would actually piss these people off?
1: So maybe um, you're great at reading
4: the room. <laughs> I think I'm excellent at it. Um, uh, Like, the other thing I said that wasn't very popular at the time is, you absolutely want to win. You absolutely want to take the three points. But uh, to the Lee Dixon point, we, uh, we might be a team psychologically that didn't need to be over, over, over-hyped, which is what would have happened after Anfield. Now, again, I'll take those three points all day long if that's the on offer. But this is maybe a team that I don't think needs to be an underdog, but like the level of fecking hype on these guys, had we won at Anfield, I think would have just blown everybody's mind. It would have been unbearable, not in the good way. And, um, uh, city need to screw up for us and we need to basically be perfect. The way we say c- we're afraid city can and may be perfect. Um, we can absolutely win each one of our games, get a draw at the Etihad. All of that is possible. if, the only reason we wouldn't win all our games is our is if our focus gets off. Either we get down on ourselves, or too up on ourselves, or we get some injuries. And so, us being back to where our focus is just about right, not so overhyped, not having to deal with all of that huge noise outside, like we can actually keep winning all our games and get a draw at the Etihad. And yeah. It starts with West Ham. There's no reason, obviously, we can't win this. It's not like we're going to come out of out of the Liverpool game thinking uh, away games are easy. Uh, so, I don't know. I think we'll be pretty dialed in for this one, the next one. It's okay. I'd much prefer the three points. Uh, we've obviously got terrifying uh, opposition, but we only play them once. And um, we kind of outplayed them for a good chunk of the game at the Emirates, and I think it's going to be in a much closer competition than before, and they may they may underestimate us a little bit, I think.
1: And they have Real Madrid on the horizon, and that's going to be their priority. I, they've I, look, also, on, look, they've there, also got they've Bayern. Empty,
4: yeah. I mean, I don't get it yesterday. They, got, they won 3-1. They were really good. They were incredibly impressive at times. Bayern absolutely could have been 1-1, at any point in that game, up to
1: they one, won 3-0, just to be clear,
4: uh, against Bayern, didn't they score? No, well, they, no. I yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, but they could have been 1-1. One, one yes, 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 for a big chunk to that game, right? Yes,
1: city, and, city, city are more. I'm saying this, and I'm sure the, the data people will say that the data doesn't bear you out, they feel more open or at least more. Gettable defensively than maybe they have been in the past? Yeah, and
4: I thought Bayern were really, really good. Now, don't get me wrong, overall, yeah, 3 0, very fair f- score. But now they have to go, like, they, they've they got uh, done away at big teams and big grounds before. So I'm not saying they're going to win against Bayern. I don't get the, oh, it's all done and dusted.
1: Mm. Bayern at home, they're, let's they're, say this, we want it to be done and dusted because we yeah, want we them do. to have the Madrid tie. Actually, <laughs>
4: what we want is. It to be four three or so, you know, some some crazy like I don't get the oh city will city rotate heavily for Bayern. No, they fucking won't. They they won't do that.
1: I agree. And it's not just because
4: they're being cautious. They've got a big, big, big game at at Bayern. Yeah, and so yeah, they they've got loads of work to do, and it's going to take emotional, physical. You know, injuries happen.
1: Uh, I I said it. I said it. If Bayern resort to violence, I mean, I know they've resorted to violence amongst themselves, among one another, with with uh, Sane and um, uh, Mane uh, punching each other, apparently. But you know, it's it's all good. Um, My money's on Mane. <laughs> yeah, uh, Tim. <laughs> the The West Ham game is interesting because I think we were rooting for West Ham to get a result so that Moyes would still be in this job. I mean, we just mm-hmm. keep seeming to have new manager bounce. Uh, all season long. Uh, by the way, City face a new manager bounce, although not not much of a new manager yeah, there. I was Lester a bit more
3: morning. excited when it sounded like they were going to get Benitez because I thought, ooh, yeah. if anyone's ca- if anyone's capable of getting like a roadblock nil-nil against City, <laughs> it's, it's probably <laughs> yeah. Benitez. But I don't think it's Dean Smith, unfortunately.
1: The, the, just to stay on that for a second, the problem with Leicester as a matchup for City is like, if you told asked me where Leicester could improve, I'd say they can score. They've got good attackers. They can't keep anybody out. Like their defense is a shambles. So I expect that. I expect Leicester to score and that game to end like seven two. Um, but our game, which is really what we're here to talk about, is uh, at West Ham. They're dreadful, and I I go into this thing. Yeah, they're bad. It's no problem. But then you look at the squad. And you're like, well, he could do, well, you know, there's, oh, well, you know, he, he, he's he got something about him. And it it just feels, it feels like one of those games where the table isn't telling me everything I need to know about this team. So why are they so bad? And should I not be worried about this, this squad that's not playing very well, but looks like it should be better than it is. And especially Declan Rice wanting to impress his future employers.
3: Yeah, you're right. They have got good players. What they've lost is they've lost quite a lot of, first of all, um, a lot of their success under Moyes a couple of, or a season or two ago was built on that kind of Rice-Sushek partnership, Mm -hmm. which was very, very complimentary. Well, maybe not in rice's case but in suchek's case much much better than the um, than the sum of its parts and now they're kind of doing rice and pacata and Pakatā a much better player but the balance has perhaps been adjusted a little bit and also like moise what the most fascinating thing to me about moise's career is strikers like he just Wherever he goes, like at Everton, he bought Yakubu, Andy Johnson, James Beattie, all complete flops. Um, and he's gone to West Ham. He had Sebastian Heller flopped. Where's he now? Has it like been at Ajax and Borussia Dortmund doing really well? He bought Skamaka, it's barely been fit. Like all of the goals in Moy's teams tend to come from deeper midfielders. So you remember, I think during the COVID season, they had Lingard on loan and Lingard was scoring all their goals and uh, Everton, Tim Cahill was scoring all of their goals. There's something about Moy's teams where the striker doesn't score unless they're repurposed. So one bit of success he did have at West Ham they had Arnautovic and he turned him into a striker and he did really well. And Mick Antonio, who was a fullback or a winger, he turned him into a striker. And that. So there's just something about David Moyes' career where this has been a theme where he, when he buys an actual striker, it doesn't work. So either all the goals come from a deeper midfielder or he just repurposes someone else into a good striker. But essentially, what West Ham don't have like, Skamak has not been fit. They've bought Danny Ings. And Danny Ings again—he's like the most strikery striker that ever strikered, and he's not doing it um, at West Ham. So, what I'm saying, David Moyes needs to do is just pull a random fallback from somewhere or something and put him up front, and then their problems will probably be solved. But they're they're kind of their biggest goal threat, I think, is Jared Bowen, um, who kind of comes off that right wing and is a lot more like a second striker, and he's he's a bit tricky. And again, you know, you look at the way we dealt with Salah. Um, At Anfield because of Zinchenko's roaming was to put Gabriel on him so I think Gabriel will stay very close to Jared Bowen but I mean I think some of it is maybe Moyes' message just gets lost after a while particularly with the style of football which is fairly attritional I mean Mm. the thing is when you go to West Ham all of the cliches I think are relatively true it's a London derby blah 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 just don't let them in the game basically like it's easy to keep that crowd quiet, but if you let that crowd in early on, you can be in for a game. In the Emery season, we lost their 1-0, and the first half was dreadful. Both both teams were utterly dreadful, and that gave West Ham all the encouragement they needed, and they won 1-0. The, the times we go there and win, we tend to just shut them down, and the place goes quiet. And West Ham is quite often an unhappy club. Quite often on the verge of sacking a manager. Quite mm. often on the verge of um, breaking into the directors' box to throttle the owners. Like it's it's kind of it's on that it's they're quite often on that kind of tipping point precipice. Um, and so yeah, I, I think this is kind of one where you do have to play the crowd, and this is going to be another one. Start like we do, like we did at Anfield, and it will be no problem. Um, basically would be my my kind of assessment and and Arsenal have shown a good proclivity for doing that this season for for starting games quickly particularly away from home actually
1: yeah and just one thing to bear in mind i know you may laugh at me bringing this up they have a european tie tonight as we record this against ghent away and then the return leg next week if you're west ham and you think you're not going down, I mean, they could, but I don't think they are. You could win a a European trophy. All right, whatever. I don't even know what they're calling it. The Nations Capital League Cup, Betway 365 Conference Cup. Like, I I don't know. Conference League. But it's a European trophy, and you're West Ham. And you could win it. Like, you could legitimately win it. You have Ghent away today, as we record this, and then you got Arsenal, and then you got Ghent again. And if that tie is live, I, I, maybe I'm being ridiculous. I don't think it's crazy to think they might have an eye on it. I mean, if we were if we were West Ham fans, whew, that's a scary thought. But if we were West Ham fans, like we'd be wanting the the Conference Trophy, League Tie Cup, Nations Betway three six five League Tie. I don't know whatever it's called. We'd want it, and we wanted a hell of a lot more than a point against Arsenal. Um... I'll give you some scary stats if you want scary, just a little bit of scary. Do you guys want scary? Let's do a little scary. Um, As bad as they've been, defensively, unexpected goals allowed, they're fifth. Fifth. They have a positive expected goal difference for the season. And uh, unexpected goals scored... That's where they're they're, they're they're not so good. <laughs> it's,
3: it's the attack <laughs> that's the problem. That's yeah. why I talked about it.
1: Yep. Yeah. yeah, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but so I'm just saying like, but but I, I almost think that plays into our hands. And the only reason I say that is we're going to go up the pitch, we're going to have all the ball up there and we're going to attack like mad. What we want to know is how dangerous are they going the other way? They haven't been very dangerous this season and ultimately I don't know they'll be able to keep us out. I do think that the fact that they play away in Europe right now, we know that that tends to have a bearing on how teams play during... Uh, on the weekend we don't have a game as you know which i think right now we're all happy for so paul weighing all of that um, i still think it it favors us i mean of course it favors us we're top of the league and they're battling relegation but so do, do you think um do you think that that, that midweek fixture might am, am i overdoing it there do you think that might be just a little extra a little extra benefit for us i mean if i'm Moyes, i'm looking at europe as a way to to end the season on a high um,
4: I mean, it's not going to help them. It's it's going to put some extra minutes in the legs, all that kind of thing. But his his future, uh, he's got to be looking at this weekend, thinking, "Will I have a job at the end of it?" And that won't be because of Ghent. If he gets turned over against
1: us. If they beat Ghent away something like 1-0 or something and they, they have a second leg and they're looking like they could win a European trophy and the top tape, team at the top of the table comes in and beats them, like is that really going to cost Moyes' job? Don't you think he might say, I think I have a much better chance saving my job against Ghent than I do against Arsenal? Uh,
4: well, it depends on how he gets beat. It, like If we rubbish them at the weekend, he could be in deep doo-doo in terms of his job. And maybe that's not the weekend he goes, but like it's another hole in the hull of his boat. So he needs a bit of a result against Ghent. That's, that's good news. That's the good news for us. But he absolutely can't get beaten at home, uh, badly and look abject against Arsenal. And then the game after that, lose that and then he's done. So I think, um, uh, his eggs are going to be largely in the he needs a good performance at home in the Premier League at the weekend because he's got to give his ownership and his supporters the belief that they can stay up and that they won't get themselves. Now, losing 1-0 to Arsenal at the weekend won't be uh, uh, fatal for him or a 2-1 or anything, you know, that looks competitive against the the top of the league team, but he can't get turned over. Um so like I think his career is much more on the and he's probably much more optimistic about getting a reasonable result, result against Ghent, whatever it is, even if it's not what he needs. So uh, I think uh, he's gonna be largely protecting his girding his loins for the weekend, making sure that gets full priority so that he can shine would be the wrong word, but but not look abject at the weekend, which would probably be his biggest fear i mean he's kind of a defensive guy by nature and uh forgetting formations the defensive approach for david Moyes would be to make sure that the weekend does not go badly i don't think it really matters from our standpoint um he's gonna have to put eggs in both baskets and we got to show up and play our football and if we do we'll do fine and we'll win that game so it's more about our psychology than theirs i think Um, I think the only benefit of not having got all the points at Liverpool is our heads won't be going to all sorts of places. We won't be hearing all the noise from outside the club that the title is already ours. And West Ham becomes what I believe you Americans refer to as a trap game. Uh, It's not a a trap trap game. Nobody can explain to me what a trap game is. To be a
1: trap game, uh, my my deal on the trap game is for it to be a trap game, the next game coming up has to be the one you have your eye on. And Southampton at home wouldn't be the kind where we'd take our eye off West Ham away. So I'm not allowing it to have trap game status. Trap game, for example, would be (laughs) what City's got, right? If the Bayern tie was live, because you'd say, oh, you know, Leicester yeah. at home, and you know, no big deal. We've got Bayern next, we got to stay focused on that. That's trap. In fact, you do, you do we not are the have trap the- game for, for West Ham because they got one eye on Ghent, except we're not. They, you know what? It's all getting very convoluted here. Y- you do not have the
4: oratorical uh, powers uh, or the intellect to explain to me a trap game, Elliot, but I admire you it having another obvious. go. this. It.
1: <laughs> it's obvious the results <laughs> speak for themselves. Yeah, I clearly don't. <laughs> um, although. Th- thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> look, we, we don't need to go much longer on this, Tim. Just some final thoughts. Is there a matchup you think we can exploit an, an aspect to this game this weekend? I mean, do you are you concerned at all about the psychology of who goes first, who goes second? I, I, I mean, I'm less concerned about that only because if I was an Arsenal player, I'd be like City, Leicester. Moment. That's a three point <laughs> yeah. banker, right? Yeah, I mean, like it's it's. It, I wouldn't be expecting it any different if they went second, but. Any matchups we can exploit that that you think we should keep an eye on specifically?
3: Um, I mean, kind of. Uh, Lucas Pacioretty had actually had quite a difficult season, but um, I do think in a game like this where Arsenal do tend to empty the midfield, that could be something to keep an eye on um, potentially. The problem
1: for us in the reverse fixture? Am I, what am I? I feel like something happened in that fixture. He was all yeah, up for sure. yeah.
3: And and of course, also they got their goal in uh, the first game by kind of lofting the ball up towards our left back area, um, and we did. We just we had a long discussion about it at the time. But Gabriel got his timing slightly wrong, um, and they were able to get the flick on and believe won a penalty. Um, and we kind of had that long discussion about you know is that just because this is the first game after the World Cup and that's it. Saliba and Gabriel kind of got. Got both got their timing a little bit wrong and, and West Ham they aimed for that left back area and they aimed for the flick on and like if but this is the thing as well it depends on who plays up front for them because Mikel Antonio might well play up front um, but they might want him And he's, but he's 33 they might want him for the Ghent games but then it's going to be Danny Ings uh, most likely so yeah I, I think how they try and hit Our left back area, that's certainly what they tried to do last time. So I don't imagine we'll see much different this time. So we're going to have to be quite clean there. And that might mean, you know, that holding has to shuffle across and all of that. So I think we've got to be a little bit mindful of that. Um, But really, I don't think we should worry too much about their players. I think like particularly at this point of the season, I think most top teams tell you that like all the focus is on how you play. If we do what we're good at, they won't have the ball anyway. We'll win the headers. Like let's just concentrate on what we're doing and look. It's what we did at Anfield, right? We just we went out and played, um, and obviously we had little plans for like Mo Salah and stuff like that. But really, we we're at our best in the game when we just went out and played. And so I, I think that Arsenal are probably at that stage now where Mikel Arteta can just say, look look out for this detail, look out for that detail, but if you go and play your game, you'll win, so go and play your game.
1: The reverse fixture, uh, interesting, was the first one following the World Cup. Yeah. Uh, if you remember, we had no Gabriel Jesus, of course. We started with Kieran Tierney, Although Zinchenko came in. We did have Saliba, the rest was sort of our recognized starting 11. They didn't have to face... Trossard. At any point, they didn't have to face Gabriel Jesus. As I mentioned, totally different uh, kettle of fish, I would say. And of course, Eddie's back food.
3: for this game. We didn't. We didn't
1: discuss that yeah. in the kind of in the before yeah, right, He's back I, in like, full training, isn't he?
3: Obviously, he's not going to start. Um, but you know, it's another option off the bench if we need it in that attack.
1: Well, and, and I think it also gives us an option. I mean, if we did get to a point where we had a lead that we felt was, you know, good. You can give Eddie some minutes, get him, get yeah. him back in the field of the game and see what he's got about him. I, I would be surprised if he appears in this game, only because Trissard would be the first sub, assuming he doesn't start. Um, probably for Jesus. But maybe if we are in a good position, Trissard can give Sacco or Martinelli a spell and Nketiah can spell Jesus. So we'll just we'll just see. Um I think that we
4: came to get some minutes for Smith rowe
1: Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. We're yeah. starting to feel like we have some options. The interesting thing is like you just need to get some minutes into these legs so you can see what yeah. they can give you. That that's another encouraging thing I would say too is if we need to push and really push for, you know, to score, when you have Smith Rowan and Ketty and Trissard on the bench, it starts to feel like you can really hurt them. And I I'm excited to see uh see what we are able to come up with this weekend. Cause having rewatched Liverpool, I think we're we're really good. I mean, it, you know, every time I re-watch us, even if the game left me feeling a little cold in the moment or not, you know, no one felt cold at the end of the Liverpool game, but worried, I rewatch and I go, wow, no, you know what? We are we are really good. So I'm also curious to see what happens with William Saliba. We don't really have any update there, but they still, you know, they haven't just completely ruled him out. So we'll see if maybe there's, there's a return on the cards for him at some point. Okay, let's leave it there. We got the Holy Dixon se- section that everybody listened to, and who knows if anyone's stuck around for this. If you have... Our fundraiser is almost at 200,000 pounds, people. Like, you are uh, you are doing work, as they say. And we've got a, a wealthy uh, individual who will remain anonymous who has offered to donate 20,000 to match the next 20,000 we raise. So, if you've been thinking of giving, giving now, you're giving double. Um, and the good karma is something we could all use. Anyway, we'll leave it there. Pause on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, Pause. Woohoo. Tim's on Twitter. Stillmanator. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Uh, we'll see some of you in New York. We'll see some of you in Chicago. We'll see some of you in the third location, which is London. And that event will be announced shortly. And we will just hopefully uh, see you, you know, digitally as well. And we love you so, so much for being here, wherever you are, whether you're up on Patreon. And that money that you've sent over to us has gone to a really good place this month. So if you ever thought about signing up, you're supporting the fundraiser there. Uh, and if not, we're just happy you're here. Anyway, we love you. And we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, West Ham.